One of the pieces um, of the way we breathe regularly uh, that strikes me this morning especially. Um, Father Richard, whom I'm studying with in the living school, teaches the Yahweh prayer, that is the prayer of breathing. Uh, he has a friend who's a rabbi who said to him, you know, maybe the reason why our Jewish sisters and brothers don't say God's name is because it was never meant to be said. It was only meant to be breathed. And so when you breathe it in, Yahweh, Yahweh. And imagine that. The very first sound you make when you come into the world through your mother's womb is God's name. And the last breath you breathe is God's name. From beginning to end, the bookends of our lives here are God's name. God's name. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. I find the deepest, deepest joy and comfort in that, knowing that the very first words I ever said were God's name, and the very last words I will say are God's name. And that bookending of my life, the bookending of your life, will be such that maybe that will bring you comfort as well, that even when you can't say words anymore, you can say God's name. So uh, we'll practice that right now because practicing breathing is always a good thing. It brings us back into the moment. Uh, but listen for it. Now, I made it very pronounced when I Yahweh'd out uh, my breath. But I wonder if you might just listen to your breath and every time you hear it, know and realize that perhaps you are speaking God's very name from birth until death. You speak God's name, and then you speak it out as you become part of the eternal God. Pretty amazing, actually. So, let's breathe. Now, as we continue to sing, and as you continue to breathe, may you be mindful of God's presence in every breath that you breathe. And in every word that you say, and in every silence that you cultivate in your life. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I rise, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow.
that again. And you are good. So good. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and allowing us to worship you while we just pray for those words to not be true in our lives, but for us to really believe them in our lives, because they are true. Lord, we just proclaim that you will never let us down, that you are here and you are good, and it's super simple, easy to say, but super confusing to actually think about and dig into, Lord. Lord, we just pray to live that, we pray to believe it, and we pray for 2019 and this future to be about that and to be the foundation of just everything we do. So Lord, this morning we praise you and we just seek a relationship with you as intimate and personal as it can be to not only learn more about you, but learn more about ourselves. And Lord, we just praise you and just all of your glory.
just going to sing this chorus before we go in the message. Indescribable, uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. All powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly I want you to reach back in your imagination, and you have to use your imagination a lot, to a 12-year-old James Henry. So that uh, is hard for None of you can imagine it. But there was once a time, I know as old as I am, as old as dirt, that uh, there was a time when there was a 12-year-old uh, James Henry. And I was a member at uh, Oakland United Methodist Church in those days. That's where I grew up. From the time I was a little tiny guy, went to Sunday school every Sunday. I've told you I had like 18 years of perfect attendance. I don't know exactly how. We, we went to Disney World and we still went to church on Sunday, even while we were at Disney World. So I would not break my perfect attendance record. And that is just stupid. But uh, in those days, I had those rules. So at age 12, one of the ruley kinds of things that happens uh, in... Uh, in the United Methodist Church, at least in a lot of United Methodist churches. I was 12, so it was time for me to be confirmed. Uh, you know, whether I was ready or not, that's a whole other dance. And if you don't know what confirmation is, don't worry, I'm going to describe it to you because that's my job. Uh, I was baptized as a little tiny guy, you know, six weeks old. I don't remember it. Uh, I have a certificate to that effect, so I just believe it's true, and even if it's not, I know God has, so I'm good. Uh, but at age 12, you go through a process, and it depends on how long it is. In the early church, it took three years to become a member. 
You studied intensely for three years. You didn't even get to read the gospel until the last 40 days before you were baptized because they felt like it was just such an amazingly holy book, you weren't ready. <laughs> uh, so you studied all the background, and then the last 40 days you finally got to hear Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, whichever one was available to you. So in any case, uh, for about 16 weeks, I starting, starting in January, every Sunday night, I gathered with the pastor. It was Reggie Potts, uh, the Reverend Potts, to me in those days. Uh, I have since seen them, and I can now sort of, I can't call any of my high school teachers anything but Mr. or Miss, whoever they are, but I can call Reggie Reggie, uh, at least in reference. I, I, every time I see him, he's still Reverend Potts, but uh, he told me to call him Reggie. Uh, I can still remember sitting in a classroom, which later became the parlor at my home church, but at that point it was a classroom. I can still remember sitting in there with 20 of my closest uh, 12-year-old friends and uh, reading a purple book. It was the book of whatever, confirmation at that time, and filling my head with all sorts of important things like being able to say the Apostles' Creed and having been exposed to other creeds and being able to say the Lord's Prayer by memory because that was important and vital to becoming a follower of Jesus, apparently, that you could recite things from memory, and I could. And I began to memorize Scripture because, of course, knowing God was about memorizing some Scripture. You had to have some key verses plugged in there somewhere deep in your soul. And so I began what uh, was a long journey for me at age 12 of filling my head with lots and lots of information about God, assuming that by putting more information in here, I would really come to know God in some kind of breathtaking, blown-out-of-the-water kind of way because somehow, intellectually, there would be a way to know someone. Now, I want to know how many of you enter into relationships with another person purely intellectually. For instance, when I met my wife 20, over 27 years ago now, my first thought was not for her intellect, although it was a, it was a charming intellect, don't get me wrong. I wanted to know her more as a person, and a person has got to be more than an intellect. It's got to be more than just what that person thinks inside their head. We live in a post-enlightenment world that unfortunately has taken us to a place where we think the only way we know things is here. The early Christians knew a heck of a lot better. We know things here, and we know things here, and we actually know things here. I know my wife in part because I can hold her hands and touch her and know that she's alive. I'm sorry, honey, I know my hands are frozen. I know they're frozen. I have no blood. It's part of, uh, it's part of my vampiric nature. <sighs> but uh, the truth is, we know in so many more ways than just here. And if you're thinking that you get to know God only by what you think inside your head, you're missing out on so much more. So much more. The early Christians understood it, and until somewhere around the 12th century with the rise of scholasticism, which you don't need to know, there will not be a quiz after worship today, you know, and then the Enlightenment, when everything became about what we did in our head, rationally defining everything. And how do I define everything? 
Anything that's not me is something other than me. So Marge is other than me. She's not me. And by the way, Marge is other than you. So you're all others, one from another. And by knowing you're all others and separate, I divide everything. Everything is separate in the rational mind. And yet God wants to bring it all together. So how can I know God bringing it all together if I do it with this thing or this thing alone? I want to tell you, using this thing, good thing. But if you remember the first and greatest commandment, it's not to love the Lord your God with your mind and your neighbor as yourself. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Guess what? That's the whole package. That's here, here, and here. The whole deal. You are meant to know God with your whole person. The whole person. So all those wonderful things that I learned, and I have an undergraduate degree from the University of Virginia. Who won the Belk Bowl yesterday? Woo! Okay. Because we need 75 bowls uh, to play in. Uh, I, I have an undergraduate degree in religious studies. And I have four years of seminary. And I love to read. I'm kind of crackheaded that way. And my wife can tell you we have way too many books. We keep getting rid of books, and I keep accumulating more. We get rid of some, and we accumulate more. And now I can sneak them into my life by putting them on my, my iPad or my Kindle somewhere so no one even knows how many books I have. They're to totally top secret. I didn't realize until the other day I opened my Kindle. It was like, oh, my gosh, how did I get all these books? Because I'm hiding them from Linda. That's why. <laughs> totally hidden. Except she does now know because I've confessed out loud in front of her. She was supposed to be in jam today. So uh, the long and short of all of that is I kept accumulating more and more knowledge. And let me tell you something. It's important for you to accumulate knowledge. I want you to read the scripture and try to understand who God is with this piece of you. I want you to read a good uh, devotional book now and then. Uh, maybe more often than now and then. I want you to read books that will challenge the way you think about the world and the way you think about God and the way you think about other human beings and the whole, I want you to be challenged at the core of who you are. I want you to learn that, but I want you to know that it's very important to know that it's not just here. Now, unfortunately, nobody ever told me that until six or seven years ago. Richard Rohr the Franciscan priest from Albuquerque currently, uh, with whom I'm currently studying, opened my eyes to the reality that God wants me to know him completely. Great that I know him with my mind, but God wants me to know God with my heart. Because you know what? The ancients believed that the heart was actually the receptor. It's like your antenna for God. That's its whole purpose. It exists. It doesn't just beat to circulate your blood. Uh, it is the receptor and connector with God. So I wanted to share with you uh, uh, a piece that for me has become important. Uh, a piece of scripture that uh, I have quoted recently, any number of times at least in part, but I want to read to you it in full. It's from Philippians chapter 2. It's an ancient hymn that Paul quotes. And it's, it goes like this. 
Um, and this is the uh, common English Bible I'm reading to you from right now, but in all honesty, well, I have challenges with every translation in one way or another. Let's just start with verse 5. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then it goes on to say, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the highest name, etc., etc. But the important piece for me is that let the same mind, this is attitude, and attitude captures it a little bit because when, when the Bible is talking about mind, we immediately go to the rational mind, which the biblical people had no idea about. <laughs> when they think of the mind, they think of the whole person. Let you have the same attitude, be of the same mind that Christ was. And what was that mind? It was an empty mind. It was a mind that emptied itself of all that it thought it knew. And you know why we need to be empty? Because the more full we are and the more certain we are that we know God, the less room for it there us to discover the God that really is. Because the truth is, I can find God to my box, whatever my box is, and then when God shows up outside my box, which guess what? God doesn't fit in my box, but when God shows up outside my box, I don't see God. Why don't I see God? Because God didn't show up in my box. God's showing up in my box too, but not also outside my box because I've limited my picture. So I have to do, I think this emptying is also like a code word in modernity and post-modernity where we are right now for unlearning. It's important to spend a portion of our life learning as much as we can. But then some of it we have to unlearn. If you learned any hate as a part of your journey to faith, you've got to unlearn that, girls and boys. <laughs> That's got to go. <laughs> because that is not anything to do with God. So if you think you get to decide who's in and who's out, you've got to unlearn that too. If you think that you get to decide how big God is or how small God is, You've got to unlearn that. And you've got to unlearn, you've got to unlearn the language you learned about God in some ways because language is only a pointer. For instance, when I was growing up in Sunday school, uh, every Sunday we learned songs. And I learned the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Only I came to think this is the word of God. In this book, the only being that is referred to as the word of God is Jesus, the eternal Christ. These may be the words of God that point to God, but in the end, no word in this book is God. At its very best, it is a pointer to God. No word can contain even the word God. Such an empty word. Because it can't contain all that God is. How do you say who God is with just three letters? Or, you know, if you're our, you know, Muslim sisters and brothers, five letters, Allah. And by the way, guess what? Our Christian sisters and brothers who speak Arabic call God Allah. <laughs> because that just means God in Arabic. 
you can't contain all that there is. The best you can do is point. What I've come to, I can't stand alone on this book, but I can stand alone on Jesus. I can stand alone on Jesus. This book will point me there. This point will open my heart and my mind to see who God is. But no book, I don't care how amazing it is, can contain all that God is. Even the Gospel of John, one of the last things it says in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John is there's a heck of a lot more I could have written down. That's what John says, the evangelist says. There's a lot more I could have written down. Only I only gave you enough so that you could believe. If there's a lot more to be said, then how can this possibly contain all of God? It contains enough so that you can believe, so that it can open the door, so it can open your mind. But the only way that's going to happen is as we begin to enter into faith, we must draw the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, which was the mind that emptied itself of all that it was sure of. Trusting that God would make clear what's most important. What is core? Love, hope, joy, relationship, connection, whatever you want to call it, all of that. The most important pieces are contained in this book. But hinted at. Let me tell you, when you finally come to know God in a personal way, this book doesn't even hold a candle to what it's like to hang out with God. It doesn't. When you realize that every breath you take, every moment in your life, every thought, every neuron that fires contains a bit of your connectedness to God, then words fall away. That's why sometimes knowing God is as much about unknowing as it is about knowing. It's about letting go of the pieces. I, I, I built up a pretty solid understanding of who God was for the first 50 years of my life. Pretty solid. Ask me. Ask me seven years ago how solid my understanding of God was. Boy, oh, solid. As solid as you'll ever meet. Now I'm realizing how little I know about God. At 56, everything I thought I knew is falling away. For me to find that in the end, it's absolute relationship. It's absolute connection. There is nothing I can do that's outside of God's love. I can push God away. I can pretend like God's not there. But the absolute love of the universe Jonah found it out. He tried to run away. Guess what he found out? No matter where he ran, where was he? Right where God was. And sometimes it's in those running away moments that we really discover who God is for us. In our most broken, uncertain, painful, hurting moments of our lives, we discover who God is. And in our most loving moments of our lives we discover who God is because that's the essence so in our greatest emptiness the reason we have to be empty or empty ourselves is so there's room for God to put in more so God can pour more love in if I keep giving away love how I'm going to run out no because God keeps pouring more in so as fast as you can pour it out God can pour it in
So if you can wicked learn how to pour it out infinitely fast, it's infinitely fast rushing into you. So why is this important? You know, in the end, I build this uh, sermon as, does faith matter? Because in today's world, oftentimes faith seems to say something that doesn't seem to have any impact at all. And sometimes it's counterproductive to all that faith is. Well, morals count right now, but they don't count over here. If it's your guy, morals count. If it's my guy, I don't care what my guy does as long as he does what I want him to do. I mean, that's politics today. Morality counts for one guy, but doesn't for the other. Or gal, guy or gal, let's just be honest. The truth is, God has got to be bigger than that. It can't be a tribal adventure where I draw my line against you and you against me. We have to find a way to break those walls down. And I think that that's what this is all about. That's why we do this. We've got to learn to listen to people, people that make me angry. I listen as some people talk about their political leanings or their, their re religious leanings, and I want to have my head explode. I don't want it to explode, but it wants to explode. And I just want to say some really interesting things. I, that piece of me, that piece of me that knows the insides outs of God from seven years ago, he has got answers, and he is ready to pull the carpet out from under you because he thinks it's all about winning. Win, win, win. You cannot win someone to faith. I'm sorry. That's a terrible language to talk about. Only God does that kind of thing. I can't beat you up until you submit to God. That's totally counter to who God is. We tried it in the Crusades. It was a mess. And I mean literally. And we've tried it since then in lots of other ugly ways. The truth is, the only way we will ever share God's love is by being love ourselves. We all need to learn to take the stance in our lives that's least resistant to God's work in our hearts. Which means sometimes I have to say, I don't know. You ask a question, I don't know. There was supposed to be a question time today. That's going to have to be next week now because I've just talked too long already. I know. Talk, 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 James, talk. For you and for me as we enter into this new year, and we're two days away from 2019, which, by the way, is an artificial construct, the way we count our days, the way, you know, it's, it's 2019 to uh, folks who count somewhere around the birth of Jesus, but now we think Jesus was actually born in 4 B.C. because we weren't good at counting 2,000 years ago. So this is really 2023 if you're going to count from the birth of Jesus. Uh, maybe because, you know, nobody was keeping, you know, we didn't have atomic clocks running at least. You know, maybe they did somewhere else. Maybe God had an atomic clock, was trying to tell us. We just weren't listening. But, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus was born 4 AD. And then we're, oh, then it's really messed up because it's really 2013 now or 26. I don't know. Who cares? Those are all numbers you put on the year. And you measure your life by that. But that's not how God measures your life. You know who, what God sees in you? 
the face you had before you were born. Not the face society told you you had to have. Not the face that your parents told you you had to have. Not the face that school told you you had to have. God sees you the way God intended you to be. God sees your original face. The face God made you to be before the beginning of the universe. God saw you before the beginning of the universe. Now, for some people who want to count that biblically, that's like five or 6,000 years ago. But we want to count it scientifically, it's about 14 billion years ago. I think 14 billion is kind of cool. 14 billion years ago, God saw you. God saw your face before the Big Bang that God made happen. God saw you. Saw your real face. Not the face you want everybody else to see, but the face God gave you. The real face. And you spend your lifetime building a nice package and then realizing what parts of the package don't matter. Because you get to be you. And the one thing you mostly get when you come to St. James on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching, for better or for worse, you get me. <laughs> the best I understand myself to be. If you'd listened to me eight years ago, you might have gotten a little different story. Because eight years ago, I, I didn't know as much as I know. Or I knew more than I know now, apparently. Uh, but this journey of faith is one of discovering. And if I don't have to know, and if I don't always have to be right, it's so much easier to be in a relationship with other people because I'm not trying to prove anything. I can just like you, whether you're on my side or not, just because. And that's what God does. God loves you just because. So I want you to live into that love. Let 2019, that magical, illusionary number, let that be a year to live into being who you are without needing to be right all the time. Because being who you are is not right or wrong. It's just being who you are. The person whom God loves. Because in the end, God gets the last word. God names you with love. So, why? that's why faith matters. But how are we going to do anything about this, James? James, you didn't give me any assignments. I've got assignments for you. There we go. Stay awake. I'm not talking about till the ball drops or apparently there's a, some kind of town in southern Georgia where instead of dropping a ball, they raise a stuffed possum, I think is what Hannah was telling me the story of. She's in Georgia now. She knows all these interesting stories about the backwoods of Georgia. You know, possums and uh, intriguing things. Oh. I stand corrected. See how little I know? <laughs> See how little I know. I can't even remember who tells me a story. This is not good. I, I remember the story. Yeah, well, that's, that, this is really concerning to me now. But that's all right. That's all right. The truth is, you need to keep awake. You need to keep awake. They raise him. On, at, at, instead of the ball dropping, they raise a possum on a flagpole. 
And thousands of people appeared to see this adventure. In this tiny town of 1,500, like 8,000 people show up from out of town to see him raise the possum on New Year's Eve. Here, let me just get you a microphone, <laughs> since you're going to take over the whole preaching thing. <laughs> Listen, it's only 2018. No one else has taken over for me here. All right. Calm down. I'm calm. Stay in that seat right there. <laughs> okay. So keep awake. And by keep awake, what I mean is I want you to pay attention to what's running inside of you. When you see that person who looks different than you and you immediately have a, a knee-jerk reaction, a reaction, catch that. You know, when Jesus says keep awake, that's what he's talking about. Because you've got to overcome that stuff. You've got to get, you got to say, you know what, God, I've got to give that to you because I've got this internal dialogue that's been running ever since I thought I knew everything. And it's still running. Six years after I realized I didn't know everything. Crud. Every once in a while, oh, I know more than that. Oh, no, I don't. Keep awake. Be aware. Pay attention to what's going on inside of you. It's very entertaining to watch what's going on outside there. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little scary what's going on inside here about what's going on out there. Keep awake. Keep awake. Pay attention. Listen to your internal dialogue and pray to God to transform that. Transform 